Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Meerkat Musings podcast. Welcome back to a long overdue podcast, really. I've been trying to do a few of these, and I start them, and I ramble, and I get fed up, and I delete them again, because I can't really think of something coherent to say, I guess. I've been trying to talk about the World Cup, but I just fear that I am going off on tangents, and so I figured, you know what? Let's just do what I perhaps do best in terms of podcasts, which is to wing it. So that's what I am doing. I am winging it, at least to a certain degree, and talking about pretty much anything and everything, really, I guess, in terms of recent stuff. And in terms of recent stuff, I guess we have to confront a few obvious things. So right here in my own little sunny corner of, of England, of Essex, we have recently had snow, which for this time of year is actually somewhat unusual these days. We don't tend to get a great deal of snow in this part of the country at this time of year. In, like, say, January, February time, yes, it's not unheard of, but... It's been a long time since we've had snow in December in in some part of England, at least in my particular part of it. And many areas were not prepared for it. The, the theory is that you would grit paths and roads so that when you venture out into the snow and ice, things are a little bit, shall we say, safer than usual. But that doesn't tend to happen here because, well, it costs time and money to do that and people won't invest the time and money into something like that unless there's actually a need. Because snow is inconsistent in this part of the woods, we don't tend to do it. So what you have are several paths, particularly pavements and and walkways, that are just sheets of ice right now. And even, you know, some days after the snow has stopped falling and we've had a little bit of sun, it's still a sheet of ice on almost every path because we've had temperatures ranging as far down as minus seven in this part of the country, which again is quite unusual. Perhaps, you know, minus one, minus two, so forth. You might see that over the course of winter. You might go a little bit lower occasionally. But again, for this time of year, minus seven, in, in Essex, are very unusual, very, very unusual. You might expect it up in Scotland, where they're better prepared for it as well, of course. But down here, to see all this snow and all this ice, and to see it kind of lingering, is very, very unusual. In some ways, it's quite nice. It's nice to look at snow when it's freshly fallen and unspoilt by human contact. It's nice to watch the snow fall. But the the bitter reality is it's cold, it's icy, it's potentially dangerous in some circumstances. And the novelty factor soon wears off once it's down and you begin to find yourself thinking, well, you know what, now it's time for it to melt. Instead, when we have minus seven degrees, what does it do? It turns into very thick slabs of ice, which linger for even longer which is not fun and not pleasant. But there's not a lot I can do about it, of course. I could go outside with a hairdryer and attempt to tackle the snow that way. 
but I suspect it wouldn't make much of a dent and I don't have any grit or rock salt to start throwing around places so I just have to endure it really. I mean, there's regular table salt but somehow I don't think that's going to actually make a dent in the snow and the ice even if it might not seem like a bad idea to try. But there is, there is one, I guess you could say, upside to this, although it depends on what the temperature does in the coming days. If, if the temperatures remain in their kind of, you know, minus two, three, four, five, six, even seven degree category, we could see a white Christmas in this neck of the woods, which we haven't seen for, again, as far back as I can remember, really. It does happen occasionally but a true proper white Christmas is quite unusual in this neck of the woods so it would be kind of pleasant to see one it wouldn't be objectionable in any way shape or form however I think next week the temperatures are supposed to climb again towards what would be a relatively tropical 10 to 11 degrees celsius and that will certainly melt the snow and ice. How quickly it melts it, and the consequences of that, who knows? It'll probably turn to like a slushy, horrible, wet, muddy mess when that happens. And it might even freeze again overnight and we get more ice and who knows. But I don't think that the snow will be here for Christmas. As, as wonderful as it might be, I think we can probably very safely say that won't happen. Speaking of Christmas, well, we are not far away. We are, what, nine days away now from the big day. A day that we spend so much time building to. And increasingly, that build-up starts earlier and earlier. You start to see Christmas decorations or Christmas-themed ideas turn up in shops sometimes at the end of September. Now, the kids are barely back at school and... We're discussing Christmas. And to be fair, you do, to a degree, have to plan ahead. It makes sense to try and buy presents and things early. Postal services in this country are heavily disrupted by strike action, and the weather will not help that, of course, as well. So there's a bit of chaos going on there. So it doesn't hurt to be ready. But in terms of, shall we say, festivities and and celebrations and decorations and that kind of thing. For me, that shouldn't start until the 1st of December at the earliest. I guess that might might be sound, in the words of my wife and daughter, a bit grinchy, but I'm a November baby, so what I don't want is to see my birthday superseded by Christmas decorations, Christmas trees, and Christmas music. And also, I just don't want people to feel burned out by it because you start Christmas in the middle of November and what's going to happen is I just think that by the time the big day rolls around you've had more than a month of kids getting overexcited by everything and they just I think after a while you're just going to burn them out they're going to not feel quite so festive if they're forced to feel festive from an early point Christmas is a magical time of year and it's magical because it's fleeting because it's a a brief period over December 
where you can believe in magic, especially as a kid. So when you're bombarding Christmas, especially at kids, of course, which happens quite a lot, from November or in subtle ways even earlier than November, are you not kind of polluting that magic a bit? Are you not putting a dent in it? Just a little bit, I think. So that's where I stand on on Christmas. I think it's a wonderful time of year. I really genuinely do. The, The joy of seeing that excitement through my daughter's eyes is incalculable. You know, she's at an age now where she doesn't really believe in Santa so much now. I think she's kind of put that idea to bed. But there is this brief period of time when you've got kids where they truly believe that magic is real. The magic of Santa, that one night where someone can get all around the world to deliver you presents. It's... There's a fleeting period in our lives where we can have that and hold on to that wonderful feeling and you get that bubbly excitement, you get that that just joy, that simple joy that children can have at Christmas is is immeasurable. And you know, seeing it as I say from my daughter's eyes was was wonderful. And sooner or later, however, it does have to come to an end. But if you start the Christmas season too early, then what happens is they just, I think it loses some of that magic. It's special because it's brief, if that makes sense. But, you know, that's me, that's Christmas, that's, that's how I do Christmas, if you like. That's my, that's my take on it. So that's where I stand on on the festive period, on the holiday season. Oh, and that brings me to another thing, actually. Uh, this is usually a time of year where we hear about the so-called war on Christmas, where apparently saying Merry Christmas is termed to be a bad and offensive thing. Except there is no such war on Christmas. This is hysteria whipped up by the Christian religious right to make people believe there was a war on Christmas because it suits their purpose and their narrative. And they get themselves all hysterical over a fictional boogeyman just so they can perpetuate their persecution complex, which doesn't really exist either. But that's probably a different subject for a different podcast or blog post. What else has been going on? Well, I have been heavily marketing my book on social media because, well, I have to, in my view. My publisher you know, will no doubt do things of their own, but I feel a duty, I guess. It's my book, my story, my work, so it only makes sense that I take an effort in advertising it, as it were. I've had a few people kind of message me and sort of say that they'll, you know, do this that, and the other for you know they'll help me get reviews for the book but they are charging what i believe to be rather steep sums of money to get these reviews that i just simply cannot afford uh, so i won't be investing in any such moves instead i'll 
I guess to a degree you rely on word of mouth. I'll keep advertising on Twitter. This platform, of course, here via the podcast, my website. And we'll see what happens. I've not sold that many copies yet. I know that. But these things don't happen overnight. And any sale is a sale that I'm grateful for. So I've just got to keep plugging away with that. If you are intrigued by The Awakening, which is a story of fierce and dogmatic alien warriors, bitter betrayals and desperate rebellions, if that intrigues you. If you would like to know and understand the battle for the soul of an empire, then you can head over to www.jumpmasterpress.com and search for The Awakening by Ben Berwick. And you can do the same thing on amazon.co.uk as well. If you search for The Awakening by Ben Berwick, it's B-E-R-W-I-C-K, by the way, it's the spelling of the surname, then you will find it. And if you do happen to buy it and you like it, please leave a review. That will be very gratefully received. It's... You know, it's a piece of original science fiction that I am very proud of. Ultimately, I'm not going to judge my own work because that's self-serving, but I've had some, some good reviews so far. So hopefully you'll check it out, you'll enjoy it, and we'll go from there. So that's the obligatory book part done of this podcast. We'll move on now to a subject which is unusual for this time of year, but it is inescapable, and that's the subject of the 2022 World Cup. A Winter World Cup has been very unusual. I imagine it's very unusual for the players because they've been out in uh, sort of sunny and warm Qatar. It's not been that sort of scorching summer weather out there because that would be too intense to play football in. But I think they still had temperatures of between 25 to 30 degrees. And some of those players, especially the ones who play in Europe, are going to fly back to a wintry chill. And then they're going to have to get used to playing in that. It's going to be an interesting body shock for some of them, I think, to lurch from playing in those conditions to, to wintry conditions. But the best players will find a way to adapt. If, any, if there's anything like me, it might mess with their, um, with their system a little bit. If I lurch from hot weather to cold weather too quickly... And if I keep doing it for whatever reason, I end up with a cold. Uh, case in point, this happened on holiday once. The uh, hotel complex or the, the apartment complex had air conditioning, uh, but outside it was like 30 degrees. And you kept going from one to the other, one to the other. And eventually it actually messed with my system when I came down with a bit of a cold because my body couldn't cope with lurching back and forth between the extremes of hot and cold. So maybe a few players might come down with the sniffles over the course of the winter. We shall see. But anyway, I've digressed, as I often do. Winter World Cup, we are at the final now of this Winter World Cup. We have one more game to play. Actually, we have, we have two more games to play. I, I apologise. But I am paying short shrift to the third v fourth place playoff, which is on Saturday between... Croatia and World Cup surprise package Morocco. And I'm probably being a bit harsh there on Croatia and Morocco in paying that match not much mind, but it's hard to get excited about the third v fourth place playoff. It's the game that no one wants to play in. There 
has been the suggestion the game should be scrapped, but I don't think FIFA are going to do that because, if nothing else, it's a game that packs a stadium and they can sell advertising rights. So they're not going to get rid of that anytime soon. But I suppose it is a chance for... It is an opportunity for Morocco in particular to end an amazing World Cup for them on a dizzying high. They have become the first African team to reach a World Cup semi-final. And although they lost 2-0 to France in the semi-final, they were actually not that far away from an upset there again. They created a number of opportunities. Number of opportunities. They just didn't quite have the composure in front of goal to take them. They either shot wildly or they didn't pull the trigger on their shots early enough and got themselves bogged down. But they had a really good go. They did not disgrace themselves at any stage in this tournament. They emerged from a group that featured 2018 semi-finalists Belgium and 2018 runners-up Croatia. In fact, they topped that group, I should say. They beat Spain and they beat Portugal en route to the semi-finals. So... You know, they beat established successful sides, Spain, of course, being 2010 World Cup winners uh, and 2008 and 2012 European champions, Portugal 2016 European champions. None of that meant anything to Morocco. They went and executed their game plan and they executed it perfectly to move on to the semi-finals. And like I say, they didn't disgrace themselves against the reigning world champions. But France had the incisive qualities to reach the final. And they will meet Argentina on Sunday evening to decide who will be world champions this time around. It's interesting because you could argue that neither France nor Argentina have played especially amazing football so far at this tournament. But you have to ask yourself the question, what constitutes amazing football? I think when you use that expression, people think to the... The kind of like sort of beautiful attacking football, the kind of thing that you expect to see from, say, Brazil. But that's more, I would say, razzle-dazzle football. But amazing football is the kind of football that gets you results. That's what I believe. I think, you know, the aim of the game is to win matches. And if you win without playing pretty, then you've still won. There's this idea, there's this hope, there's this belief, this expectation that the best teams in the world are the ones that play with a lot of flair, panache. They'll do all the little tricks. They'll, they'll do the little flicks and they'll do these incredible one-touch passes. But it doesn't always pan out that way. Sometimes the best football is dull. Sometimes it's gritty. Sometimes it's a case of grinding out results. And we, I think we've seen that a little bit from both Argentina and from France in the course of this World Cup. They haven't necessarily treated us to, to glorious displays of brilliance, but they have found ways to win matches. You get no prizes for, for playing in a fancy, elaborate way. You only get prizes for winning. So in that sense... Argentina and France have both done what they had to do to get themselves over the finish line in their matches. They've got themselves to the final. And as I have said on my blog more than once, this is a demonstration, in my view at least, of how the cream does eventually rise to the top. 
these teams are in the final because they deserve to be in the final. They've got there through whatever means necessary. And whoever goes on to win the final will win it by playing, in my view at least, uh, you know, whatever means necessary. If it so happens to be that, say, you know, that one team wins by playing brilliant, amazing attacking football, and we have this amazing, say, like, 5-4 result in the final, then obviously from the point of view of the fans, that's great, that's brilliant. But I'm pretty sure that both Argentine fans and French fans will settle for any kind of win regardless. If it's a kind of nerve-wracking 1-0 nail-biter win where you're desperately holding on, well, it's still a win. And you still win the World Cup. You still lift that trophy. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Will either team go for it? Will they be cagey and cautious in the opening stages? Both teams have some amazing players. Argentina have Lionel Messi, who needs no introduction uh, on the world stage. He is arguably the greatest of all time. And if he lifted the World Cup trophy, I think a lot of debate on that subject will come to an end. France have got Mbappe, who is perhaps the crown prince to Messi's throne. Mbappe is a sensationally fast player. Great on, excuse me, great on the ball and an accomplished goal scorer. So it'd be great to see how those two line up. They play alongside each other for Paris Saint-Germain, so it'd be interesting to see what they know of each other as players and how they take things from there. We will find out. It will be intriguing, and I look forward to seeing the outcome. Beyond that, is there anything else that I want to add to this podcast? I cannot think of anything. Um, I guess the one thing that I will say is, in the midst of everything else going on in this world, we shouldn't forget there are still turbulent matters going on. There is still the war in Ukraine raging even as I speak, and I do not want to contemplate what that would be like to be fighting in a winter that will be worse than the winter we have here in England. My thoughts and wishes and love go out to the people of Ukraine who have been incredibly brave throughout all of this, and I hope that somehow they can have a good, safe Christmas, and that they emerge from the other side of this alive and victorious in the end as well. So I will sign off with that message. I wish you all, uh, if I don't speak on this podcast beforehand, I wish you all a Merry Christmas, and I wish you all a very Happy New Year. <laughs>